I want to ask you to find a special text in the Bible for our purposes today. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, and I want to let you know that uh, you're the big people service today. Uh, Jennifer asked if I would take two different approaches, uh, same message, two different approaches that that uh, I would deliver more of a formal sermon to you folks uh, in this service today. And uh, then in the late service, all the kids will be in here, and they will be down front. And so I'll be down front with them, down on the floor and so forth, and uh, more of an interactive message with the kids at 1030. I would call some of you forward this morning to do that. You know, we, I could have all y'all down here and I could practice on you. Uh, but I was afraid Gavin McKinnis would misbehave and we'd have to have him taken out of the church. But anyway, uh, Daniel chapter 1, I want to bring a message this morning entitled, Living a Life That God Blesses. Let's read in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans." The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. 
So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so grateful for the life of young Daniel and what we learn about him and God how you used him in mighty ways to affect just not simply his friends around him but even kings and kingdoms for decades to come. Lord, we know that you put in his heart that he would not defile himself in any way. And he purposed that in all things he was going to honor you and serve you and live for you and not be conformed to his culture. Lord, help us to see this morning how you can use our lives if we do the same. And God in particular, I want this group to see this morning how we need to be encouraging our young people to begin at a young age. That they would have all the rest of their lives to honor you and live in fellowship with you. Lord, give us wisdom to relate to them and to train them and to help them understand these things. And may they see the example in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When Pearl Harbor was bombed, one of the Americans who volunteered to serve his country was a man by the name of Bob Feller. Now, some of you sports fans know all about Bob. Bob was a 23-year-old pitcher for the Cleveland Indians. He was a tremendous player with great promise who had already pitched a no-hitter and won 107 games in the major leagues. Bob was reaching his peak as an athlete, but he gave up all of those years to shoot down planes in the Pacific. When he returned to playing baseball after serving his country, Bob went on to throw three no-hitters, 12 one-hitters, and he won 266 games. But his years of military service during which he could have probably won another 80 to 100 games cost Bob much of the baseball fame that he deserved. When baseball fans 
elected the all-century team in 1999, Bob and his 266 victories were ignored in favor of two other pitchers. Some suggest Feller may be the most underrated baseball player of all times. Feller was once asked if he regretted his wartime service. He said, absolutely not. There are many things in my life that I do indeed regret. But that's not one of them. Bob Feller made sacrifices for his country and he has no regrets whatsoever. Folks, I think you could have perhaps asked Daniel when Daniel was much older. Daniel, do you regret being captured and carried off to a foreign country, to Babylon? You have ended up having to make so many sacrifices in your life. Are you sorry for any of them? Folks, I do not believe Daniel would have been sorry. I do not believe he would have regretted anything. Because here was a man who was able to witness what God was able to do in him and through him. He indeed lived a life that God blesses. I think the book of Deuteronomy, uh, the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Daniel, I'm going to get to Deuteronomy in a moment. The book of Daniel shows us what God can do with a life consecrated to him. Parents and grandparents, what I want you to see in this particular service is how all of this began with Daniel when he was a young man. Scholars believe that Daniel may have been as young as 14 years of age when he was captured by Nebuchadnezzar. Now, when you read the decisions Daniel made in his life, if that's true that he was only 14 years of age, and you look at the commitments that he took for God and how he stood faithful, I think that says a great deal about the type of upbringing that Daniel must have received in his parents' home. You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now listen to this next verse. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Now without a doubt, that must have been the type of training that Daniel got in the home. His parents undoubtedly had a great impact upon this young man. Folks, let's never underestimate what God is able to do with young people. We could talk this morning likewise about Joseph. We could talk about Moses. We could talk about Samuel. We could talk about Timothy. On and on that list could go. Talking about young people and how God used them mightily. Besides our own service for the Lord, we need to be doing everything within our power to help young people start early serving the Lord. 
Now, when we get into Daniel chapter 1, there are several things that I want you to understand before we start going through the text itself. I want you to understand, first of all, the sovereignty of God. As you look at the outward condition of the Jews, you would have said that things looked pretty bad for them. You might have questioned where God was. Actually, God was the reason for all the bad that was going on and He was in charge of it to use all of this bad in the Jews' life to bring discipline and restoration to them in the long run. So the sovereignty of God. And then also we see the decision of an individual to obey God in a very ungodly environment and how God honored that. We see how God blessed such a dedicated life. This book has volumes to say about the ability uh, of God to take a young life committed to Him and do tremendous things with that young life. First thing I want you to notice with me this morning from the first seven verses is a difficult trial. A difficult trial. You might find yourself in a situation beyond your control. And that's exactly where Daniel found himself. These were days of a national upheaval. Immediately in verse 1, we see the scene being set. The year is 605 B.C. Now you'll remember there were three separate invasions of the Babylonians into Israel, or into Judah, I should say. Three separate invasions. The one here in 605 B.C., and then a few years later in 597 B.C., and that's when Ezekiel the prophet was taken. And then in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians went in again. And that time, they destroyed the temple and all the walls around the city. And so there were three separate invasions of the Babylonians into Judah. The people of Judah have been sowing to the wind and now they are weeping, reaping the whirlwind. They've had more than a hundred years to see what God did to their brothers and sisters up north. The ten tribes of the northern kingdom. And remember what God said in His Word about that? What happened to them should have been a testimony and an example to the two southern kingdoms. God brought the Assyrians in and destroyed the northern kingdom. More than a hundred years earlier. And you would have thought that that would have been a testimony uh, to the two tribes in the south that they would have cleaned up their act and they wouldn't have followed in the footsteps uh, of their brothers and sisters up north. But they didn't. They didn't learn their lesson. And so now God is bringing in the Babylonians and He is going to carry the southern tribes away into captivity for 70 years. 
Somebody might ask, why didn't he destroy them like the ten northern tribes? Why didn't he just kind of wipe them out? Remember, the Messiah was to come through the southern tribes. And so God preserved Judah because the Messiah was to come through them. And so instead of destroying them, he sent them away into exile for 70 years to discipline them. God is doing this. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. This is God doing this. Now Nebuchadnezzar being an ungodly king, being a pagan king, would have probably thought, I'm just a better military commander. I've got a better military. I've got a bigger and a stronger and more capable military. And so we're doing what all we're doing by our strength and by our wisdom and by our might. He would have thought all that. Indeed, you get over to Daniel chapter 4, and that is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar thought. He took credit for it. But it wasn't him at all. It was God doing it. And you'll recall Habakkuk the prophet had problems with that. He questioned God that God, when God revealed what he was doing using the Babylonians to judge the people of Judah... Habakkuk questioned that. He said, God, how can you do something like that? How can you take a more ungodly people, a pagan people who don't even know you, and use them as a rod of judgment with your own people? How can you do that? Where is the justice in all of that? And God told Habakkuk, Habakkuk, one of these days, don't you worry about it. You leave all these matters to me because one of these days I am also going to bring judgment on the Babylonians. I know what I'm doing and I'm using them for my purposes right now. And you're just going to have to wait and see. God was just in everything that he was doing. Now this capture mentioned here is the fulfillment of many warnings from the prophets because of Judah's sins. In Isaiah 24 verses 1 to 6 we're told one of the reasons for the 70 year captivity because they had been ignoring the Sabbath, uh, the Sabbath years. And God said through Isaiah that he was going to reclaim those Sabbath years and give the land rest while they were away in Babylon. And then there was also idolatry and there was moral apostasy. This capture right here shows that when the word of God is ignored and violated, divine judgment is right around the corner. We would do well to listen to that. When we're ignoring the principles of God's word in our lives, we'll pay. The Bible says God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Daniel found himself caught up in all this. He found himself captured. We're told about that in verses 3 and 4. And we know what happened here. The Babylonians would capture the cream of the crop. Verse 3 talks about Daniel and his friends. These young people were from the nobility. Now the Babylonians did this for several reasons. They would use these young people as a sort of ransom to their parents back home. 
But also the Babylonians did this when they captured people and brought them uh, into Babylon. They would take some of the young people and they would start early indoctrinating them into the ways of the Chaldeans and they would try to make uh, Babylonian or Chaldean disciples out of them. And that way these cream of the crop young people would help them to manage their own people. Now notice what verse 4 says about them. They were used without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Nebuchadnezzar wanted only the best. Now in all probability, Daniel and his friends were made eunuchs. Now we're not told that specifically in the text, but there are several things that imply it. The chief, of, they came underneath the authority of the chief of the eunuchs. And then in 2 Kings chapter 20, there is a prophecy there about how youths of the nobility would be captured by the Babylonians, taken away to Babylon and made into eunuchs and they would serve in the king's court. Well, all we're told about in the scripture is Daniel and his three friends who would have fulfilled that role. And again, 2 Kings says they would have been made eunuchs. So all of this is what happened to Daniel. Daniel was thrust into a place where he did not want to be. Folks, this shows that if God judges a land, even believers will suffer. God doesn't put us down inside of a bubble and protect us from all the road, road, road bumps and turns and potholes in life. Daniel and his friends experienced everything that Judah experienced, all the hardship. Yes, God spared them in the midst of the fire, but they still had to go through the fire. They had to go, or Daniel had to go, through the lion's den experience. And again, I mentioned Daniel's probably only about 14 to 17 years of age. He's got no hope of getting out of Babylon alive. Because you see, we know that Daniel knew the prophecies of Jeremiah. And you go back and you read the prophecies of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah revealed that Judah was going to be in captivity for 70 years. So Daniel knew all those prophecies. If he's 14 years of age, uh, 70 years, he knows he's going to at least be 84 years of age until he gets out of Babylon. But God had a purpose in his life. Sometimes we don't understand what God may be up to. We don't understand why God has put us where he has put us. But he's put us there for a reason. And before he can use us, he's got to test us. You see, man is interested in what we do. But God is interested in, in who a man is on the inside. Because he's got to work on a man or a woman's character on the inside before their life can have impact on the outside. 
God was in the process of working on the character of young Daniel and his friends. Folks, if God only put us around other Christians who believed exactly what we do all the time, where in the world would our ministry be? God puts us around people that need our ministry because He loves them too. I wonder if you've thought lately about the surroundings God has put you in and the circumstances God has put you in. How is God wanting to use all of that in your life to bring glory to His name? Daniel was invited to indulge, verses 4 and 5. This is Operation Assimilation. Operation Assimilation. Babylon was a place of wickedness and and they were to be educated with all the literature and the language and the culture of the Chaldeans. Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to get so accustomed to the world of the Babylonians that they forgot all about their previous religious upbringing. He even changed their names. They had godly Hebrew names that meant something. He changes their names to Babylonian names. He's trying to strip away their godly upbringing. Folks, it's no accident that all through the Bible, anytime, anytime Babylon is mentioned, Babylon is all, you can start back at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, go all the way through the book of Revelation, and every time Babylon is mentioned, it is always used in a negative sense. It is always used as a picture of the corruption that is in the world and the defilement that's in the world. And Psalm 137 tells us how the people of Judah, how how the typical person responded. It says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps on the willows in the midst of it. For there were those who carried us away captive. And they asked of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And they responded by saying, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? But again, here was Daniel invited to look past all of the bad. They're trying to make things really good for Daniel and his three friends. And all they would have had to do was have simply gone along with everything. And they would have had it made. They would have had it made. Many of their colleagues around them might have suffered, but Daniel serving in the king's court and his three, his three friends, they would have had it absolutely made if all they would have done was to go along. Second thing I want you to see beginning in verse 8 is a daring test. A daring test. Verse 8 says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel. Here's the sovereignty of God again. Second time we read this phrase, God gave. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king. Who assigned your food and your drink? For why should he see that you were in worse condition 
than the youths who are of your own age. And so you would endanger my own head with the king. And then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants these ten days. Let us be given vegetables and water to drink. And then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you say. A daring test. Folks, this is where it all begins for Daniel. I want you to underscore verse 8 because you know what I'm absolutely convinced of? I'm absolutely convinced that if verse 8 was not in the narrative of the book of Daniel, you and I would probably never read of Daniel again. If Daniel and his friends would have simply bowed the knee to the assimilation, I don't think we would have ever read of them the way we do in the Bible. Notice Daniel's situation here. At this point, he was faced with this issue of compromising the Lord's word and he wouldn't do it because you see to eat of the king's food probably implied several things there would have been foods that the Babylonians ate that would not have been considered kosher they wouldn't have been the foods that in the Old Testament law the first five books of the Bible God's people were told to eat and they were told of certain foods not to eat the Babylonians wouldn't have had these diet codes like that and so without a doubt much of the king's food would have probably been unclean but there might even be a bigger thing implied in it the king's food the Babylonians would dedicate they would offer their food to their Babylonian idols before they would partake and so these would have been foods also dedicated to the Babylonian false gods And I want you to notice something here about Daniel. Though he was young, he obeyed God. Although he was away from home, he obeyed God. Although he was in the minority, he obeyed God. Although he knew the possible death penalty involved, he obeyed God. Folks, what do you call that? You know what I call that? I call that faith. We can't control some of the situations that we find ourselves in, but we can control how we respond. Resolve to avoid defilement. Folks, again, I want you to think about Daniel and his walk with God for a moment. He was in a foreign land, away from family, away from everybody who knew him. That would be a temptation for some. Another temptation would be the fact that if he would just simply keep quiet and go along, he would end up with one of the best jobs in the land. But folks, I want you to notice what happens by following God. He not only got the job in the king's court, but he became God's spokesman and he influenced the world today far more by being used by God than by serving a pagan king. Had he only served a pagan king, his name might have been recorded in the Babylonian Chronicles, but by serving God, his name is recorded in the Word of God. Amen? 
That shows us that while people today may compromise their convictions, in so doing, they lose far more than they will ever gain. Folks, God is still looking for Christians today who will purpose in their hearts. Who will purpose in their hearts not to go along with the world and will dedicate their their lives to the Lord and will not defile themselves. It's interesting in a sad way that of all of the young people who no doubt were captured along with Daniel, of all of those young people, we only read of Daniel and his three friends. Now the reason for that may be that God was just choosing to highlight these four. But I think there's a more negative implication in it. And that implication may be that the other youths did in fact go along. We don't read of them. But look at the awesome testimony that Daniel ends up with. I love what James Montgomery Boyce says in his expositional commentary on the book of Daniel about all this. He says, you know what, in life a lot of times, and he talks about young people too in life... We, th- we think about these major decisions that we've got to make in our lives and we want to do the right thing in those major decisions and we'll try to seek the Lord in those major decisions. But as Boyce points out, he says, oftentimes, you know where it all begins? It begins with the little things. What do we do with the little things in life? The little choices in life. Because you see, it's those little things that are shaping a character. And ultimately shaping a destiny. If we don't care about the little things, then how can God entrust us with bigger things? Daniel's doing the right thing with the small choices. Verse 8, he purposes in his heart. And he goes on here, I want you to notice parents and grandparents how he's very respectful of the authority that's been placed over him. He doesn't want to see harm brought to this man. He doesn't want to see this man lose his head. And so he presents a test. God gives Daniel wisdom in even suggesting this. He presents this this leader over him with a test. Says, give us vegetables. Quite a testimony that you need to eat your vegetables, right? Give us vegetables and water and that's all. And then simply test us at the conclusion of ten days days and at the end of 10 days you be the judge you be the judge I find it incredible the wisdom that God is giving this young man here and we're told the results of the test at the end of 10 days Daniel and his friends look better than all the rest and so the, uh, the, the eunuch, the chief of the eunuchs takes away all of their food, gives them only vegetables and water during these, this three-year period uh, of, of their attempt to make Babylonian disciples out of them. Third thing I want you to see here, divine triumph. Divine triumph. As for these four youths, God, third time, 
God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Verse 17 takes us to the end of this three-year period that's mentioned in verse 5. And it's no surprise what we see here at all. They have wisdom. God did this. God rewards His people. Folks, I want you to notice that God even blessed Daniel with the opportunity of being, with the ability of being able to interpret dreams. Don't you find that incredible? Don't look over that too fast. God knew. Daniel didn't know at the time, but God knew that Nebuchadnezzar was going to end up having this dream and Nebuchadnezzar was going to call in all the wise men and ask for the interpretation of this dream and none of the wise men could do it and the king made a decree or he was about to make a decree that all the wise men, all, the, all those who were used as counselors in the land were to be brought in and they were going to to be put to death so God was already equipping Daniel with the ability he went into the king and said don't don't do this yet give me time I'll tell you what your dream is and he was able to not only tell the king the interpretation of the dream but even tell the king what his dream was in the first place Showing that he had indeed heard from God in this matter. But what I find astounding about this, God knew all the trials, God knew all the experiences that Daniel was going to encounter. And so when God gave him wisdom, God also gave him all the understanding he needed even to interpret dreams. Everything he was going to need to be able to serve in the king's court. God did all this. And then from verse 12 and verse 21, we see Daniel's influence. Not only his wisdom, but his influence. And verse 12, we see his influence with his buddies. You know, sometimes those around us are just waiting on somebody to take the lead and step up and be the example. He was And his three friends followed his example. He had influence on them. And then you look down at verse 21 and you find that Daniel was there until the first year of Cyrus. That means that kings had come and gone and Daniel stayed there as an advisor to kings. He had a tremendous influence over the Babylonian empire. For all these 70 years, Nebuchadnezzar came and went. Belshazzar came and went. So did Darius. We got all the way down to the first year of Cyrus. And who's still there? Daniel is still there. Here was a young man in the worst possible circumstances. And yet as he got older and lived his life, he never came. 
Isn't that amazing, folks? He never caved. It all goes back to chapter 1, verse 8. Influence. Who is God calling you to influence? Who is God calling you to make an impact with? You know, at Harvard, they did, a, they did a study at Harvard trying to figure out the number one way that people can have an impact on others. And you know what they found? Out of all the technology and all the stuff we have going on today, they found that mentoring and being an example is still the number one way to impact people's lives. It's amazing, isn't it? Who's God calling you to be that example to? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to ask you this morning to make up your mind from this day forward to live for Jesus Christ. Parents, grandparents, think about it. When you live the faith and model the faith, think of the impact you can have on the young people around you. You might even have a young person right now who doesn't want to listen. But I believe sooner or later, your influence and your example is going to win out. Keep on. Keep on serving the Lord. Make up your mind to obey God where He has planted you regardless the cost. Don't expect the easy places. God may not put you in the easy places. Make up your mind to influence other Christians around you. And remember, even the small things in life matter. Don't ignore the small decisions you make. Lord Jesus, thank you for Daniel. Help us to be Daniels. Help us to stand strong even when people around us may not. And may it be for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.